Please take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 28. It's hard to believe that we are already at the conclusion of what's just been a remarkable journey through God's work in uh, the early church, and uh, we'll be concluding in Acts 28 this morning. So just ask you to uh, pray with me as we seek God's blessing, and then let us hear from God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your blessing now on your word. Uh, we pray that it would have its effect in the hearts of each of us here this morning um, and in the hearts of your children, that it would uh, strengthen and build us up and remind us of the calling that we have been given in this life and the great commission that we have been called to. Uh, Father, I ask for your grace now and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. <laughs> now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puttioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring. 
against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I ask to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. The final chapter, the final chapter in Luke's what is really a two-part account of all that God has done to fulfill his plan of redemption, to establish the kingdom of God, and to redeem a people for himself. The first part of it is the gospel of Luke. So as we come to the end here, I want us to have a broader picture here of the conclusion of Acts. In part one, Luke stated his goal to Theophilus, to whom he was writing, and the goal that he stated for writing was that Theophilus would have certainty regarding the gospel he had been taught, and so he sets out to write an orderly account of the things that have been accomplished among us. And so Luke, in his gospel, focused on the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption through the coming of the promised Messiah, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31, it says, Mary, a virgin, is told that she will conceive a son who she is to name Jesus, and it is said he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so Luke records for us the birth of Jesus, where he was born as prophesied 
in Bethlehem, what his lineage was of the line of David and Abraham. He was born of a virgin, as Isaiah speaks of, his life and his teaching, his power to heal diseases, his ability uh, and authority to forgive sins and to raise the dead. And then he tells us how this Messiah who was promised suffered and was rejected by his own people, and he suffered death by crucifixion at the hands of Jews and Gentiles who rejected him. He was buried, and after three days he rose again from the dead, all of which God spoke of in the Old Testament and all of which the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled. All that God mentioned in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, they all point to Jesus Christ. That's Luke's gospel. And Luke even ends his gospel with the words of our Lord in Luke 24, 44 to 49, where Jesus says this, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." And so that was God's purpose in sending the Lord Jesus Christ. That on account of his righteous life, on account of his goodness and his works and his perfection, and on the basis of his suffering in our place and making an atonement for our sins and rising again for our justification, sinners of all nations, people of all nations, tribes, and tongues, Jew and Gentile alike, everyone sitting even here in this room, who repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ alone, will receive the forgiveness of their sins. They will receive his righteousness while he takes their judgment. And they will receive eternal life as children of his kingdom. That is such good news. It's good news, and it is good news that is to be proclaimed right there beginning in Jerusalem, Jesus says, and it is to go out into all the nations. And the Holy Spirit would empower them to proclaim that message and to take it to the ends of the earth. There is salvation in no one else there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And as our Lord said at the end of Matthew's gospel, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Part one. God will build his kingdom through his son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Part two. The book of Acts, which we have been hearing from over the last several months, picks up where it left off in Luke. The Lord says in Acts 1.8 that his disciples would receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them, and they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Luke began to give us the history of all that God began to do by the power of the Holy Spirit through his disciples to bring the gospel to all nations and so build his kingdom. Now, one of the things that Luke tells us at the beginning of his gospel, when Jesus was brought to the temple to be presented to the Lord according to God's law for purification, you'll remember in Luke 2, there was a righteous and a devout man there whose name was Simeon. And Simeon, when he beholds Jesus and he holds him in his arms, he speaks by the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 2.34, this is what he said. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. In other words, Simeon is holding Jesus, the truth of the gospel, the salvation of God, who would die for the sins of the world, and he's holding him in his hands, and the Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon that this Savior who came in love to redeem people from their sin, he will be opposed by the very people who his lineage belonged to, he will be opposed by many in Israel. Many will turn to faith in him and believe, and many will oppose him from among his own people. And so Luke has noted that too throughout Acts, hasn't he? Just as Simeon prophesied, Christ and his kingdom and his gospel were opposed in Israel, and the darkness of their hearts, of many, was revealed. Many fell in unbelief. They rejected the offer of God's salvation in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and they continued to oppose it, and they followed Paul and the disciples and the apostles all through the region, arresting them, imprisoning them, threatening them, even beheading them, all because they opposed the Messiah that had been sent to them. But some did believe. But you see, God had that in his plan as well. Because of their rejection, this became the catalyst through which the gospel would then go to all the nations so that Gentiles too would be saved and brought into God's kingdom just as God had ordained and promised. And so Luke told us about the apostle Paul a man chosen by God and called to carry the name of Jesus before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And he would do so through much suffering and opposition 
And that's precisely what we have seen. As Paul and the early disciples took the word of God to the nations, they faced much opposition, especially from Jews. But through it all, God was going before him and causing his word to grow and building his kingdom from Jew and Gentile by the Holy Spirit, and the gospel was spreading to the ends of the earth, just as the Lord Jesus Christ said they would do. And many were coming to faith in Christ. And so Luke has shown us how nothing can prevent God from accomplishing his sovereign redemptive purposes for all nations. That's what Luke is talking about in Acts. And so he ends with these words in Acts 28. Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's what Acts is about. And this last chapter we're looking at is a final testimony to that. That God at the end of Acts is the one who accomplishes everything that he sets out to do. And those who follow him accomplish everything that he prepares for them to do. And he is faithful to his promises to everyone who belongs to him. He keeps his word, and he will keep his word to those who do not belong to him as well, that there will be a judgment that is to come. And so what we're going to look at here is this final testimony. Verses 1 to 10, we see God fulfilled his promise to Paul to save him from that storm. He fulfilled his plan for Paul to bring him to Rome. And he fulfilled his purpose for Paul to testify to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Luke shows us in verses 1 to 10 how he fulfilled his promise he made to Paul in Acts 27, verse 6. You'll remember an angel of God was sent to Paul in the midst of the storm, and he told Paul that there would be no life lost among them, but only of the ship. And so God brought them safely through the storm and the shipwreck, but they didn't just end up floating around in the open sea. Luke tells us that they floated on planks and they swam from the ship as it hit the bank and started to break up, and they ultimately reached the shore of an island called Malta. The island of Malta was originally named by Phoenician sailors. And in their language, they would have called it Melita, and it means refuge. And it's a very fitting name for Paul and the additional crew of 275 as they are abandoning the ship and they're swimming ashore they're swimming ashore onto the island of refuge. And this island is 18 miles long, and it's eight miles wide. 
It's actually really similar to Catalina Island. So if you look at Catalina Island, 22 miles wide, eight miles, or 22 long, eight wide. It's about the size of Catalina Island, and Malta is 58 miles south of Sicily, and it's 180 miles northeast of Africa. And so they are, at this shipwreck, a long way from the mainland. This island is about twice as far from the land as Catalina is. And so their ship breaks up in the middle of the ocean of the Mediterranean, and God brings them all safely through the storm, and he washes them ashore onto this little island of refuge. And so Luke notes that on this island, there are barbarians, he calls them barbaros. That means native people. And he calls them barbaros not because they were savages, but because they lacked Greek and Latin culture. They, their language wasn't as refined as the Greeks and the Latins. They spoke somewhat gibberish. In any case, he says that while they may have been barbarians culturally, Luke tells us that they were extraordinarily kind to them and welcoming. Kind and welcoming. And it was cold and it was raining and they kindled a fire for these unexpected guests. And I imagine that that must have been a huge blessing for these shipmates of Paul. God had done exactly what he had said. There had been no life lost among them. They ran aground on some island. And now they are sitting next to a fire on a little island called Malta. And I was just struck by that. God cares for even the smallest ways, doesn't he? He thinks about the smallest things that we need as his children, and he gives us blessings that we can't even begin to count. He doesn't just bring them to safety on an island of refuge, but he delivers them to a people that are kind and welcoming and a people that create a fire for them to warm them and to bless them. And God is the one who directs them there. And he gives them and us exactly what we need in order to serve him faithfully. Grace and kindness from God through even pagan Gentiles. And so Paul, not being one to sit around and wanting to help out, he goes to collect more wood for the fire and unknowingly, in his collection, he also picks up a viper snake among the sticks. Deadly, deadly snake. Interestingly, there's no more vipers or poisonous snakes on Malta. Some people will say that means Luke's account isn't authentic. However, a small island like that, as it's civilized and people begin to occupy it, it's not surprising uh, that poisonous snakes would be eliminated eventually. In fact, it is said that even Ireland today has no poisonous snakes, uh, but at one time they did. So, in any case, he picks up this snake. 
And he throws the wood into the fire, and the snake jumps out of the flames, and Luke says that it fastened on Paul's hand, meaning it didn't just hit him and bump off, but it sunk its fangs right into his hand so that it's hanging there, and Paul had to shake it off into the fire. And so in the minds of these natives, this was surely a death sentence for Paul. They had seen the results of a snake bite before, and they all knew about Paul, that he was a prisoner, and they thought he had escaped death by the sea, and now this viper has bitten him, and he will receive his just desert. They thought justice will be served. He may have escaped from justice. They called Dike, which is the goddess of justice. That's probably who they're referring to. But in the last day, justice will have its say. And so even they have an understanding of the law of God written on their hearts. But no ill came. As a result, they waited for Paul to swell up and die. No misfortune came as a result at all. And so they changed their minds. And somewhat, I think, humorously, Luke says, and then they called him a god, right? They don't know any better. Now, what I find really awesome about this entire account is that, you know, when Paul was bit, if I was bit by a snake and a poisonous one at that, I'd probably panic. I probably would. I'd probably be like running around. What am I going to do? I'm panicking. Call the cops. Do something. Help me. You know, I'm I'm (laughs) I'm going to die. And Luke and Luke says Paul just simply shook the snake off into the fire. I would have done that too. But I think the point is that I don't think Paul was afraid. I think he had learned his lesson on the ship when he was afraid that they were going to all drown and die. And the Lord came to him, and the Lord said, Paul, you must go to Rome. Don't be afraid. And Paul encouraged the whole crew. And I think by this time, he gets to the island, and he's bit by this viper. And I think Paul, I don't think he's afraid at all. I think he's bit, and I think he shakes the snake off. And I think he goes about his business. And I think they're watching him thinking he's going to die. And I think Paul is just living because he knows he is not going to die on Malta. And that's a truth each of us should actually take home. Whatever your life is right now, if you are afraid and fearful of things that are coming at you and snakes that are biting you or whatever it is, storms that are raging, you understand that you will not die one second earlier than God has ordained for you to die. If you are to go to Rome, you will go to Rome. If you are to fly on a plane to go to some distant land to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ in somewhere, you will not die until God has ordained for you to die. And if we should live that way, then there is nothing that can be thrown at us by the world or from the world that will hinder our trust in the God who has created all things and who is directing all of history. We can rest in him, and I think Paul does. So this isn't a promise for you to play with venomous snakes, though. Don't get bit by rattlesnakes in San Diego. It's not good for you. Anyway, 
God also used this miracle to authenticate Paul's message as he did preach salvation to these natives. Now, look, I know Luke doesn't say that Paul preached the gospel to them, but I find it quite hard to think that Luke doesn't intend for us to assume that Paul proclaimed the gospel to them. He has been doing that everywhere he went, every place, all the time. Uh, for him to live as Christ, to die as gain, he knows nothing among people but Christ and him crucified. And so I imagine that Paul here is also sharing the gospel with these natives. And so they are listening to him as he tells them about Jesus. In any case, he's also given ample opportunity to bear witness to them over the next three months, Luke says, by healing the chief man of the island as well as all who had diseases, just as our Lord did so often. And the result was that Paul and all those with him were greatly honored, they were treated nicely, and when they left the island of refuge, they left with everything they needed. Isn't God good? He fulfilled his promise abundantly. But then he fulfills his promise to bring Paul also to Rome. You see, Jesus had told his disciples that they would bear witness of him to the ends of the earth, right? And he told Paul that this included testifying in Rome, Acts 23, 11. And it's something Paul desired to do. He even writes to Rome some three years earlier, and he told them how he longed to see them so that they might mutually encourage one another and that they might help Paul on his missionary journeys. And this is not how Paul would have envisioned it happening, but God directed his path the entire way. He overcame opposition. He removed obstacles. He delivered Paul through dangers and toils and despair, and he protected him every step of the way. And after three months on Malta, Luke says they set sail on another ship from Alexandria that had wintered on the island. And Luke tells us, I think to draw out the irony, that the ship had the twin gods as a figurehead. And that's to say it's irony because those twin gods that were likely on that ship were the twin gods of Castor and Pollux. They were sons of Zeus and Leda in ancient Greek mythology, and they were actually known as the savior gods. And they were considered protectors of good fortune on the seas. But Luke notes that they're on this ship, and he's well aware that who is it that has protected them on the seas the entire way? It is the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heavens and earth and the seas, who has been their shield and their protector the whole way through. The true and living God has guided them. And so they sail on this ship, and they go at Syracuse on the southeastern shore of Sicily, they stay for three days from there to Regium, which is on the toe of Italy's boot. And after one day there, they sail between Sicily and that toe with the wind now in their favor. And they head out and arrive to Petolia, Petoli on the western side of Italy's boot on the Bay of Naples, about 130 miles south of Rome. This would have been the main port for grain in the country. So all in all, 
Their journey from Malta would have taken them about three weeks. The entire journey from Caesarea where they began, it would have been about four months later. And here in Patoli, they find some believers and with Julius's permission, they're able to encourage Paul, Luke and Aristarchus and whoever else was with them to stay with them before they took the journey to Rome by foot. And then Luke gives us these sweet words of relief, I think, and thankfulness. And I think they're words of recognition that God was with them. He simply says, and so we came to Rome. Can you imagine? And so we came to Rome. Think about the journey that they have been through and all of the ways that God was directing them. And eventually they arrived at the destination that God had said. I think that too is applicable for us. You're gonna look at your life and you're gonna look at the chaos and you're gonna look at the heartbreak and you're gonna look at the challenges and you're gonna look at all the ways that you have been opposed by the world and hated by others, and you're gonna look at the way that Satan tried to discourage and to stop you from progressing forward, and you're gonna realize that God has allowed each and every one of these trials so that you might learn to trust him. And then at the end of the entire trip, you will be able to say, and so God has brought us safely through. That's what Luke says. And so we came to Rome. God fulfilled his promise. And what a welcome it was. Believers came from great distances to welcome them. As far as the form of Apius, it's about 43 miles south of Rome. And then I love the name of this city, Three Taverns. Doesn't that sound cool? They came from Three Taverns, about 20 miles south of Rome. God's love and care for his people. He provided fire in Malta and kindness from Gentiles. And then God knew that they needed the encouragement of the saints in Rome, and God flooded them with it. And Paul, as he sees them, he's deeply moved by their love, and he thanks God, and he's greatly encouraged. His desire had been to go to Rome, and God, more importantly, had kept his word. Listen, I just, I ask myself this question, and it's a simple question, but it's one you have to answer. Can God be trusted at his word? Yes. Can you trust that God will do what he says? Yes. Over and over and over again, the scriptures testify, and your own life testifies to the fact that God keeps his word. We don't know how and in what way he's going to bring about his ultimate plans, but what we do know is that he will never lie to you. People will lie. You have lied probably to someone in your life, and I know that I have. We humans, we people, are liars and deceitful. And if you don't think you are, then you have something to consider. 
We are not truthful people. We tell people things that we think that they want to hear, and then we make promises that we often can't keep. But God, not so. He never lies. He never breaks a promise. He never breaks his word. He is always true and good to his word. And so he blesses Paul. He brings him to Rome. And he floods him with believers. And I like what this one David Peterson said in his commentary. He said, even as a prisoner... He was being afforded something like his own triumphal entry into the capital. He carries the name of Jesus triumphantly into Rome, just as his master triumphantly went into Jerusalem. And so at this point, Luke draws our attention to how God also fulfilled his purpose for Paul. And so he draws our attention to Paul's ministry to the Jews in the city. This was Paul's custom, as we've seen through Acts. Though he's an apostle to the Gentiles, Paul made it a point to go to the Jews first with the good news about Jesus, the promised Messiah, and the kingdom of God. This is Israel's long-awaited hope. Faith in Jesus is the culmination of that hope, and so it is necessary for them, as it is for all other people of all other nations, to embrace it. And because of the freedom Paul had been given in Rome to stay by himself, Paul was able to do that and testify before the children of Israel in Rome. And so initially, there's a meeting between the leaders of the Jews in Rome, and he kind of gives his defense to them, and he explains to them what has happened and why he's in Rome. And he explains that he is not guilty. It's things we've looked at through, Lucas told us about through Acts. But he does tell them this, it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing these chains. And so they hadn't heard of any of Paul's troubles, but they had heard of this sect and its negative response by people about the gospel. And so they want to hear more. And so they appoint a day, and great numbers come to where Paul is staying. Not just the leaders, but Jews from all over Rome come to hear Paul present the gospel to them. And he does. And their response is what Simeon said. Through the Holy Spirit, that some would hear and many would reject. And there's a huge contrast here between the friendliness of the centurions and the natives and the kindness of the Christians and the contrast that Luke is drawing to those of Israel who rejected the gospel. Some convinced by the proclamation of Jesus Christ as king and some rejected. And so Paul, he gives a final word from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 9 to 10. And he says, I'll read it again. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. You know why Luke ends here with him speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem, I mean in Rome? I think Luke is driving home the point that this is all confirmation that the calling of Paul that he received from the Lord was to go to the Gentiles and that the salvation of God belonged not only to Jews but also to all the nations of every tribe, tongue, and people. This is why Paul says in verse 28, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Not all listened among the Gentiles, that's true. Not all listened among Israel. But the point is that all must listen and respond in faith to what God has done. And so Paul stays there in Rome, and for two years he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, and he's teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance to anyone that comes. God keeps his word, and he took the gospel to the ends of the ancient world. The Lord Jesus is with us to the end of the age. But I'm going to conclude with this final thought, real briefly. Do you notice that at the end of Luke's account, he doesn't even tell us what happened with Paul before Caesar. It kind of actually drops off and it ends right here with Paul proclaiming the gospel in Rome and we don't even know what became of the trial. You have to ask yourself as you're reading Acts and as we've been going through it is why is that? And you would say, well, if Acts was a biography about Paul, then you would have certainly expected a conclusion from Luke, right? Or maybe some kind of third volume to tell us what happened. But as we noted, that wasn't Luke's point, was it? That wasn't Luke's point of Acts to tell us a biography of Paul. His point was to tell us how God has fulfilled his mission through the early church and uniquely Paul. And the point he wants to leave you and me with as we conclude Acts is that God is continuing his mission. God is not yet done building his kingdom. That means you and I, beloved, should take courage and remember that no matter what opposition or obstacles or restrictions we face in this life, God is not done building his kingdom, which means that he is not done using you and me in the context of proclaiming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to the nations, and he won't be done until he comes to the end of the age. And I think that's why Luke ends it as he does. God will be with us, beloved, till the end of the age. He will go before us. He will open the door for the gospel 
wherever we are to bring it, and we will be able to proclaim the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. In this country even, as this country turns its heart further and further away from God, and it closes its eyes and it has dull ears and a hardened heart, we need not fear proclaiming Christ to them. Whatever the consequences are, God goes before us. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached, for which Paul suffered, bound with chains as a criminal, but also remember the word of God is not bound. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word that we have been able to read and to study over these last several months. We thank you, O oh God, for the testimony that you have inspired Luke to write down in his gospel about who Christ is and what he came to do, and also to write how the Lord Jesus continued to work by the Holy Spirit in the hearts of his children to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, and we know that you have accomplished it. It's all been of you from beginning to end. And we are privileged to be a part of your family, and we are privileged, oh God, to be able to take the name of Jesus Christ to any that we see and who will whoever will hear. We know, Father, that it is not our doing to save. It is not our doing to change hearts. It is not our doing to make Christians. But it is yours through the power of your word. And so we ask, Father, that as your people here in Ranch View Baptist Church, that we would be mindful and remember that you are still working even in the year 2021 and that you will continue to work and to build your kingdom. And we pray that you would help us to be faithful for the glory of Christ and his holy name, we pray. Amen.